This is the Transcend Human Podcast, a weekly show where we learn what it means to rise above the human condition. We hope the conversation today is just what you need for the week ahead. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the Transcend Human Podcast. It is great to be with you. Here we are, February 7th, 2022, another Monday morning here in Southern California. Like I said, great to be with you. Welcome back, not only to the podcast, but more specifically to the Conscience Driven Therapy series that we're in. So a quick review on where we're at. So we have moved from the things that we cannot control, that was chapters one, two, and three, to the second part of the book, things we can control. Uh, Last week, we did our first chapter on the things we can control, and this week is chapter five on the things we can control. So we'll get to that here in a second, but let's jump into the minute of transparency. So this week, I'm just calling it Letting Go is Harder Than It Sounds. So I'm sure we've all heard the song Let It Go from the movie Frozen, right? I am not going to try and sing it for you for sure. Um, But it was on the radio for months and months and months, and I'm pretty sure every kid old enough to enjoy the movie has the lyrics burned into their brains for life. Uh, And the the lyrics really tied to the movie plot more so than what I'm talking about today. So it's not really uh, apples to apples, but the main part of the chorus does let it go, let it go, that part. Because I wanted to spend a few minutes talking about things that we need to let go or how not letting go of them may impact future decisions and things that we do for the rest of our lives. So I'm just going to throw out a couple of examples from my life, knowing that each and every one of you, I'm sure, could add to this list. Um, You all have your own stories, um, and I'm sure they are very valid and would fit in very well here. So let's start with one that's a little more comical. Uh, Example number one is Super Bowl 48. That probably means nothing to most of you, um, but to me, it means quite a bit. Uh, That year, the Denver Broncos played the Seattle Seahawks. It was February 2nd of 2014. Now, I've been a Denver Bronco fan my entire life, probably ever since I was even introduced to the NFL. I grew up in Powell, Wyoming, and the Denver Broncos were, I think, the closest NFL team to that location, Uh, not to mention the fact that most of the people in that area rooted for them. So on Sundays, we would gather together with our family friends, and we would watch the game together. And I became a lifelong fan through the good years, through the bad years, just waiting for that next good year to come along. So... That was it that year, right? 2014, it was the Super Bowl. They made it their chance to get back on top again. Only they didn't. They lost. And not just a simple loss, not a good game at all, but a royal spanking by the Seahawks, who literally won the game 43-8. to Now, this posed a huge problem for me. I'm not a fair-weather fan, so it's not like I was going to jump ship and... Uh, root for the Seahawks or root for some other team. No, I'm a Bronco fan for life. So the only option left to me was to be angry with the situation and place all of that anger squarely where it belonged, on the Seattle Seahawks, right? 
And that's what I've been doing since then for literally over eight years. Every weekend during football season, I do the following two things. First, I look to see if the Broncos won. Second, I look to make sure that the Seahawks lost. How crazy is that, right? How petty. Get over it. Let it go. I know. I will literally watch a game between a random team that I could care less about and the Seattle Seahawks just to see if that random team can beat them for me. Now, this is the perfect example of not letting something go, right? Holding a grudge over something bad that you experienced in your life. And of course, this is a pretty petty grudge, but it's a grudge nonetheless. My wife laughs at me and she pushes back on me every single weekend when she hears me talk about this, almost to the point where I've stopped talking about it, right? Because I can just feel the condescending tone coming. And I know deep inside, she's right. I need to let it go. But what if it is a situation that wasn't like that? What if it was something that wasn't that petty, right? What if it's something that actually impacted your life, something that posed a threat to you or your family? Enter example number two, me losing my job. So quick backstory, Uh, Tammy and I lived in the Midwest, and at some point we asked ourselves, why exactly do we live in the Midwest? Why do we put ourselves through this? Why are we choosing to live with the crazy temperature swings, the storms, and the dreaded permacloud? For those of you who don't know what that is, it's that time of year when the clouds roll in, the cold, the drizzle, the overcast nature, covering off the sun so that you don't see it for months at a time. So we decided to do something about it, and we moved to Southern California. I got hired at a church in Southern California, and for the next three years, I managed the digital strategy at that church. Then, out of the blue, I was called into my boss's office, and I was let go. It was one of those really messy situations where there was little to no explanation, only things like, you know, it's not you, it's us. You're awesome. You're a hard worker. Anyone would be glad to have you. However, we're restructuring the department and we're kind of moving things around. And because of all that, you know, we had to remove two positions and yours was one of those positions. And we're just going to go in a different direction. And unfortunately, this is going to impact you. Blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, I was a casualty of corporate restructuring a smoke and mirrors game that employers play when there's no real reason to let you go. In this situation, the intentions were pretty clear. The two members of the team that were let go were two of the older, more mature team members, if you know what I mean. Both of us had experience. We were good at what we did. We had families to support, which meant we probably earned slightly higher salaries than other people. Shortly after our Time ended and we were off the team. The team started to grow again. And sure enough, they backfilled our positions with younger, less experienced team members. But then something even more inappropriate happened. The person who was hired to do what I was doing was none other than the son of the senior pastor at the time. So, in this case, probably less about the salary and more about finding a new job for a relative. Like I said, corporate restructuring in order to get away with things that might actually be a little less common even in the marketplace. Since there are rules in the marketplace, there are rules that protect employees from this kind of behavior. But I've come to learn that this behavior is actually pretty common in churches. And you should be able to see how my life instantly changed 
after I went through this situation, right? Not only did it change my life uh, instantly, forcing me to find another job very quickly, but it was a direct threat to my family, knowing that if I couldn't find something, there was a chance that we would have to move or be unable to pay for our home, our vehicles, our way of life. A very scary situation to be in no matter where you live. But then you throw in the fact that we live in Irvine, California, where the standard of living is out of control and the margin for error becomes even more razor thin. When I look back, the whole situation was a pretty big deal for me on a few levels. First, I was forced to look at the church differently. So Tammy and I talked all the time about the fact that church work is hard because not only is it your employer, but it's also where you go on the weekend for spiritual growth. And it's probably where your kids are involved for their spiritual growth. So when you get let go from a church, it's life altering on a whole different level. I also realized that I was way too trusting of the church and the people leading the church. Now, Tammy and I had both had conversations about church leaders, that they're just people, they're people just like us, they're sinful just like us. But I think we underestimated that truth just a bit. We assumed that even though they were sinful people, that they still had our best interest at heart. We believed all the hype about being a family and how we look out for each other and how we're all on mission together. And we believed that the leadership in the church, in any church, would behave in slightly more ethical ways, more so than the average person working in the marketplace. But this turned out not to be the case. Second, I lost confidence in myself. I'm assuming most of this was due to my personality. I'm a details person, a perfectionist. I'm an Enneagram one whose basic fear is being corrupt or seen as corrupt or defective in some way. And even though they made it clear to me that they weren't letting me go because of my abilities or my performance, I couldn't help but believe differently that if I had just worked harder or, you know, if I had just, there had to be something I did wrong along the way that led to this, right? Now, another per- part of my personality is the strong ethical belief structure or this belief that um, I think it's something I learned back in taking the Strengths Finder personality inventory. Um, I hold myself to a very high standard. And because I do, I believe that everybody else should do the same, that we should all live by this code of ethics. And that if we did, people around the world would be protected and the world would be a better place. Again, this wasn't the case with the leadership at the church. And finally, I learned a really important lesson about the world in general, because I had never been let go from a job before. Uh, And having a very strong work ethic, I got to the place where I just assumed that I wouldn't let go, get let go, right? I believed incorrectly that if you just work hard enough, you'll be rewarded and you'll be respected for that work. After all, shouldn't the lazy people get let go? Because, I mean, they're the ones who aren't doing what is expected of them. Now, obviously, these misplaced beliefs set me up for a world of hurt. Not only were were we hardworking, ethical people that got let go, but at the same time, there were lazy and slightly incompetent people working at the church being hired at the church, and actually being promoted up the ranks in the church. So when all of this happened, I was instantly forced to deal with my delusional thinking. I had to admit I was wrong. Employment isn't a given. It's not a 
It's not something that you just get and have and keep. It's a very fragile thing. No matter how good you are at what you do. Also, people are fickle. Companies are fickle. And yes, the church is fickle. Decisions like these can come out of the blue. They can almost seem random, as if somebody literally sat in a conference room and rolled the dice to see who stayed and went. And there was very little thought given to the impact that it would have on not only me, but my family in this kind of decision. But then again, it wasn't personal, right? It's just business. You'll bounce back. You'll figure something out, right? Now, I can already hear some of you saying, wow, you still sound a little bitter. And you'd be right. This scenario produced a grudge way more intense than the one I developed when the Seahawks beat the Broncos, because this is real life. This is a real life scenario. To me, it was an injustice and a direct threat to my family. Now, for those of you who aren't really feeling the whole significance of this situation kind of a thing, I have something for you to listen to. So this week, if you have nothing else to do, search up the the podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. I'll put the link for you in the show notes. It's basically a podcast produced uh, by Christianity Today, and it chronicles the rise and fall of a pastor called Mark Driscoll and his church in Seattle that was called Mars Hill. But the podcast isn't just about that singular pastor or that one singular church. It exposes something interesting about the mainstream evangelical church in general, right? This machine that just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger every year in this country. The podcast really exposes some of the things that seem to be commonplace in many of these large churches. Things like narcissistic leaders, negative staff culture, people getting chewed up and spit out left and right. And all the while, these machines keep plowing forward, following the same unwritten recipe. But it also exposes us and how we actually create the perfect environment for these types of leaders, how we feed into the narcissistic behavior and how we provide the following and the viewership for churches like this to thrive. So if you have time, I would recommend giving this a listen. It should help you see the world we live in, the type of church environments that exist in our country, and then maybe you'll understand the way that it impacted me and my family. So there you have it. Two examples from my life. Difficult things, things that I need to let go of on some level um, if I'm going to continue to grow and mature and be healthy in my future. Now, to provide a happy ending to these two sad stories, let's just say I'm working on it, right? Seattle was far from making the playoffs this year, which helps a little bit. And with each passing year, I'm letting go of my anger towards the church that let me go. And I guess the church in general, right? I can attend church and I can get something out of it and I can continue to work on separating my situation from the bigger C church in order for me to not view all churches through the same lens. I've learned that if I can't let go, things like this will continue to eat at me and keep me locked in a prison of my own making. And that brings us to our topic for today. Chapter five is hold on to the good, release the bad. And we're going to walk through three things today. The first is listing your assets and strengths. Two is listing your landmines and minefields. And then three is reframing your worldview. Number one, listing your strengths and assets. So in the minute of transparency, I went straight for the negative, right? 
completely skipped over the fact that positive things happen in our life, positive things happen in our past, and I just jumped right into the negatives, the grudges, the things that we should let go of. But even during those negative times, and even in those negative situations, there were positives, right? I had to, or I had access to two things that are often overlooked. And these two things are called assets and strengths. So why are they often overlooked? Why do the negative life events seem to overshadow them? I don't know. Maybe because the bad things leave a bigger scar. They're more painful. They seem to have a bigger impact on our lives. Whatever the case, the bad things tend to stick out like a sore thumb. How hard do you believe it was for me to think of those two things? Did I have to spend an entire morning combing through my past looking for something to talk about? No, not at all. In fact, those were just the two things that rose to the top. There were at least five more screaming to be up there at the top with those two. And I could have picked those landmines without even blinking. Because they're all there, right under the surface, bubbling up like magma in a volcano, just waiting to explode all over the place. Just me? I don't think so. That's why chapter three was all about landmines and minefields, because everyone has them and everyone has to figure out how to manage them moving forward. But before we revisit those, let's talk about assets and strengths, because everyone has those as well. They don't just pop into our minds as quickly as the other ones do. So to start, why did we use these two terms? Why not just one or the other? Well, let's look at each individually. So dictionary.com defines an asset as a useful and desirable thing or quality, a single item of ownership having exchange value. Next, it defines a strength as the quality or state of being strong, mental or moral power, power by reason of influence, power of resisting force, a positive or valuable attribute or quality. So you can see that they're very similar and yet different. And for our purposes, this is how we're going to distinguish between the two. We're going to view an asset as something outside of ourselves, something we possess or we're given or something that we have access to. And we're going to view a strength as more of an internal thing. So something that we have within ourselves, something we were born with or something that we've incorporated into our life through education or training or mentorship of some sort. Very subtle but I think it will make sense once we start to look at each example. Now, again, there are some important things to understand here. First, we all have both assets and strengths. No matter how hard they are to find, they are there. You might have to dig, but it's very important that we keep digging until we uncover them, document them, and then come to believe that they truly exist. Only then will we be able to have a true picture of our reality, right? An accurate worldview. Now, I say this because many of us ignore our assets and strengths, right? We focus on the landmines and minefields in our lives. And when we do this, it's no wonder we struggle with things like sadness, anger, depression, anxiety, and addictions of every kind. These are very common side effects of this um, worldview that we've adopted, this negative worldview where we only choose to focus on one thing. Now, because this is a podcast, we're going to look pretty high level at assets and strengths. However, if this were the book, I would be asking you to complete an exercise. So we've moved into the heart of conscience-driven therapy, and we're discussing the things that we can control. So it's time to roll up our sleeves and get busy. 
The next exercise that we're going to walk through is the assets and strengths inventory. Now, again, we're not going to go through all of this on the podcast, but just know that there is an inventory that you could literally print off and fill out in order to complete this exercise. So what I'll do is I'll add this to the Patreon account that we talked about last week um, so that you can access it there. Just head over to transcendhuman.com and click on the join us button in the header. And that'll allow you to sign up for a membership, if you will, and have access to some of these documents. Quick caveat about Patreon. Um, I literally just created the account two or three weeks ago. And I mean, I want to run with it, but at the same time, I'm a little bit frustrated with just the platform and how it works and what that you're allowed to post on the inside of it. So just know that I'm looking at that. I'm thinking about it. I'm trying to figure out what the best next step is. Um, but either way, there will be a way for you to get these resources moving forward. So that said, let's do a high level explanation of this exercise. So it's basically meant to get you familiar with some things, things in your life that are going well, the positive things you have going for you, the things around you and inside of you that allow you to get up each day and be a functioning member of society, and the things that have helped you cope with the landmines and minefields from your past. But before we dive deeper into the inventory, we need to bring up the greatest asset we have and as it turns out, it's our greatest strength as well. It's basically what we spent last week talking about, which is our value. The value that we have because the God of the universe, the creator of all things, designed us. He loves us and he's fighting for us. This is literally our greatest asset because he is the outside force, the outside power source that we have access to. And it's our greatest strength because when we internalize this power source, there's nothing we can't achieve. So this is really the spiritual side of conscience-driven therapy. And we access this power through things like spiritual disciplines, right? Things like reading the Bible, praying, meditating, spending time in nature, silence, solitude, all of those different things, which we'll talk more about in the future. Um, those are all things that we use as strengths and assets moving forward. So that said, let's look a little bit closer at the inventory and the other assets and strengths that we have. So under assets, we're going to break it into spiritual, emotional, and physical. So under spiritual, you have things like spiritual parents, leaders, mentors, positive spiritual connections, um, spirituality in your home, access to spiritual documents, right? For us as Christians, that's the Bible. Um, the ability to attend weekend services at churches, things like that. Those are all spiritual assets that we have or could have. Uh, next is emotional. So do you have emotional support, mentors, friends, pets, access to counseling, access to self-help content, things like that. And then finally, physical assets. So do you have financial means, financial support, a home, a car, access to education, a job, access to health and wellness services, um, access to police and social services, access to the internet and information, all of those types of things. Those are all assets. Next, we have strengths. So we're going to break strengths into four categories, spiritual, emotional, physical, and cognitive. So spiritual strengths are things like the spiritual beliefs you have within you that guide you, uh, a strong sense of right and wrong, 
belief in the value of human life, respect for others, selflessness, altruism, serving others, giving to others, etc. Next are the emotional strengths. So emotional stability, a positive outlook on life, level-headedness, ability to control anger, uh, ability to keep learning, ability to do self-assessments well, ability to support others emotionally. Next, physical strengths. So obviously things like your health, physical beauty, physical strength, talents, abilities, coping skills, etc. And then finally, the cognitive. So are you intelligent? Do you have an ability to learn, ability to make good decisions, critical thinking skills, creativity, specific intelligence, right? So like specific intellect and intellectual properties that help you excel in a specific career or field of work. Um, even things like street, street smarts, um, being witty, being quick with comebacks, all of those are cognitive strengths that we have or may have. Now, this exercise isn't the end-all be-all, right? It simply helps start the conversation. It helps us go through a bunch of categories, think critically about ourselves, and then offer some examples in each category that we can pick from and document. So hopefully this will get you moving in the right direction and will start your creative juices flowing. At the end of the day, it's up to you how deep you want to go, how deep you're willing to go in this self-evaluation. You can just scratch the surface, put down a few things and call it good. Or you can do some real brain damage, put some real time and energy into this in order to get a comprehensive list of the things you have going for you. So like I said, if you're interested in completing the specific exercise, head over to the Patreon page and sign up to be a partner of the show. And once you've completed this exercise, just hold on to it because we will refer to it throughout the series. Okay, the last thing you can do if you're interested is to take some personality inventories. So these aren't rocket science, right? They aren't going to change your life forever just by doing them, but they're fun tools tools that can help you learn more about yourself, what makes you tick, uh, what type of a person you are. And when you take some of these inventories, a lot of them come with a specific set of strengths and weaknesses as well. So when you take them, you know, you can look through some of those uh, strengths and maybe add them to your asset and strength uh, inventory because you, you know that if you're that kind of a person, these are things that you're just naturally inclined to do. So those are strengths. So if you're interested, I would start here. You've got the Enneagram, you've got 16 personalities, you've got strengths finder, uh, and I'll put you know the links to these uh, inventories in here if you're interested. Um, so you know some of them are free, some of them cost a little bit to take them, but the costs are usually pretty minimal and compared to the insights you gain from them, they're you know pretty cheap. So so yeah, number two, listing your landmines and minefields. So let's rewind the clock a few weeks and go back to the negative things, the bad things, right? The things that are much easier to identify, uh, at least for most of us. But before we begin, we need to explain that there are varying levels of bad, right? Varying, level, varying levels of the difficulty that we experienced in our past. And because of this, we're each impacted differently by those things. To help us understand the distinction, let's kind of create two categories for these negative life events. According to Alan Schlechter and Daniela Montal Montalto uh, from NYU Langone Health, um, 
they provide two categories which they think are helpful to understand. The first is adverse life experiences. And the second is traumatic life experiences or trauma. And they do a really good job helping us understand the difference between these two levels. So an adverse life experience is like a mosquito bite, right? It's a bit annoying. We itch for a while, but eventually it goes away. A traumatic life experience is more like a bee sting for somebody who's allergic to bees. So (laughs) if that's you and you don't have an EpiPen, you're in a world of hurt. And death could actually be the next step if you don't get help quickly. Now, this experience is much more intense, obviously, and it's probably not something you'll forget quickly. However, even in this scenario, there are two levels of response. So you have the child who remembers the bee sting and is now on the lookout for them all the time, but still goes to school, still gets along well at home, and still continues to interact with friends. Opposite of that is the child who fears that he or she will be stung every day. So they hide out, hide out in their room and they determine not to go to school and they don't leave the house. And so it is with us and the landmines and minefields that we've walked through. There will be varying levels of impact based on the event itself, but also based on how we respond to those events. So some events are going to be like a mosquito bite right? And others are going to be more like the bee sting for the person who has an allergic reaction to bees. And in the worst case scenarios, there are people who experience memory loss, uh, have repressed memories. Their traumatic events aren't even in front of mind. Their brains have created a lockbox of sorts uh, in the back of their mind. And these difficult things have been banished there in order for them to keep functioning. In cases like these, it's important to spend quite a while in this phase of treatment, right? Therapy will need to go on a bit longer, be a bit deeper in order to unlock that box and bring out the repressed memories a little bit at a time in order for you to fully deal with them. Now, for the rest of us, those that don't have the lockbox in in the back of our minds, it should be fairly easy to list our landmines and minefields, right? The ones that we've experienced from our past. Now, We don't want to spend a lot of time defining terms here because we already did that in chapter three. So a brief summary of what we're talking about. Landmines we discussed were one-time negative events, either adverse or traumatic from our past. So these are things that either happened to us, things that we saw happen to other people, or things that we have may, may have even had a hand in causing in our past. Next, minefields are a pattern or a group of these negative events. They can either be adverse or traumatic in terms of severity. And these are things that happened to us more than once, things we saw happen to other people more than once, or things that we did more than once. Now, the other thing we did in chapter three was take the landmines and minefields inventory. So we're not gonna spend a lot of time talking about that either. But to summarize, the inventory walked us through the two different lists, right? The first were for the landmines, and it was broken out into two large categories, physical or life-threatening incidents and emotional incidents. Again, these are single events that happen to us as children, adolescents, or even as adults, I guess. I mean, it could have happened two months ago. Now, we're not going to go into any detail here, but if you downloaded the exercise, you already have this information documented. Next, 
are the minefields. So similar to landmines, these were broken up into two categories, the physical or life-threatening incidents, and then emotional incidents. Now, a lot of the examples for minefields are similar to those of landmines. However, the difference here is that minefields involved something happening more than one time. It's something that happened more than once, a pattern of abuse, a pattern of behavior that may have created a deeper level of trauma within us. Again, we're not going to go into the specifics um, because they were available in the exercise. So if you completed this exercise a few weeks ago, hold on to it as well. If you haven't completed it, like I said, you can find it on the Patreon page and you can probably complete it this week along with the assets and strengths inventory. And just keep both of these handy because we'll refer back to these throughout the series. But one more thing before we leave this section. So at the beginning, we said this list might be easier to come up with. And that may have been true for you. However, even though the list might have been easier to come up with, that does not mean that the events or incidents we came up with were easy to think about, or that they were simple or straightforward, or that because we were able to write able to write everything down so fast that we should be able to just forget about them as easily. No, not at all. In fact, we may have opened up a can of worms just by doing these exercises. You just never know how something will impact you until you're forced to sit down and think about it again, to write it down and admit on paper what you actually went through. Now, difficult is one thing. And yes, we're asking you to keep going with us, even though it's difficult. But overwhelming is an entirely different thing. If this is you and the can of worms was bigger than you realized, don't feel bad. Don't freak out. Just know that there must be a lot of emotion tied to those events from your past. And you probably need more than this little podcast and a few written exercises can provide. For you, my recommendation would be to look into weekly counseling and begin the process of working through your traumatic events in a safe, caring environment with a trained professional. Number three, reframing our world view. So to wrap up this chapter, we're going to walk through a little mind exercise. Now, important caveat before we begin, this will be an oversimplification. This will be an easy button that really does not exist, nor should it exist, because this type of work can't be rushed, right? These are difficult life events and must be dealt with at the right time, at the right pace. Sometimes it can take years to work through things like this. So the good thing is that conscience-driven therapy does not believe that there is a quick fix either. And as we progress through the remaining chapters, you'll see that you aren't able to read the book and just be done. Conscience-driven therapy has to become a new life strategy, one that we use every day of our life. It's a worldview that picks us up, dusts us off, and then helps us rise above the human condition. Sound familiar? That's what Transcend Human has been about since day one. Conscience-driven therapy is simply the vehicle that we're going to drive in while we're on that journey. So that's all coming in future chapters. But to wind things up today, let's throw the easy button out there, right? Let's oversimplify things a bit just so we know where we're headed. Now, I just explained that this section is called Reframing Your Worldview. And that's it. That's the easy button. Simply change your worldview. Recognize that you're looking at the world one way and that you need to look at it a different way in order to make progress. We need to stop looking at the landmines and minefields and letting those define us 
and instead start looking at our assets and strengths and what we have going for us. In essence, hold on to the good, release the bad. See how easy that was? Done. Drop the mic, button up this episode, and put it to bed. Okay, wait, you're right. That was way too easy. And we all know that life isn't easy, right? Which is why there are still five chapters to go. However, it's important to see that this is the goal. This is where we're heading. What would life look like if we focused on our assets and strengths every single day and kept our landmines and minefields where they belong in the past? Starting next week in chapter six, we're going to take a look at this easy button that we just talked about, and we're going to flesh it out a bit. We're going to start looking at a very important concept, one that goes hand in hand with our freedom of choice. It's this little thing we call our mind, our brain, our thinking, our cognitions, and a very special part of that brain called the conscience. But I bet you've wondered when we would get to that, right? Considering the series is called Conscience Driven Therapy. When are we ever going to talk about the conscience? Well, more on that next week. But for now, let's land the plane. So this week, your homework consists of the following. First, complete the assets and strengths inventory in order to get a really good feel for the things you have going for you. And if you haven't already, try working on the landmines and minefields inventory as well. And for extra credit, take one or two of the personality inventories that we talked about. Or, if you've already taken them, dust them off and see if you can find some additional strengths in the lists that they provided you that you can add to your list. And that's it for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Come back next week as we dive into Chapter 6, which is called Understanding Our Locus of Control. That said, have a great week, everybody. And as always, keep transcending human. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. If you're interested in the show notes for this episode, head on over to transcendhuman.com forward slash podcast and navigate to the episode you're looking for. On the website, you'll also find blog posts, podcast series, and other helpful resources to help you navigate the Transcend Human ecosystem. You'll also find links to our social media channels, And as always, if you have questions, feel free to contact us at info at transcendhuman.com. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you back here on Monday morning.